Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Guys, we get to start Psalm 78. Now, Psalm 78 is a long psalm. It is written by Asaph. We already studied a little background about him. He was the last worship leader for the entire southern kingdom of Judah. Remember Israel, they had a, a civil war and they split to the north, the northern kingdom, and that was called Israel. And the southern kingdom was called Judah. It's just by the territory, how they broke it up. But 10, technically nine and a half tribes were with the north part and two and a half were with the south. And so this guy was the last guy to lead the worship at the temple before it was destroyed before Nebuchadnezzar would swoop in and burn all the fine homes in Jerusalem, burn the temple, and take away the articles of gold and silver. You remember, he carries them back to Babylon. And he also takes Daniel and his buddies away with him. Asaph is the fellow who was leading worship at the temple when this all took place. He witnessed this happen. So I only tell you that so you know a little background of what's going on as he's giving this psalm. Now this psalm here... Some of you have little notes above the beginning of your psalm. Mine is translated from the Hebrew. It says, this is a psalm about God's guidance of his people in spite of their unfaithfulness. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says that everything that happened to Israel happened to them for our example. In other words, for us to learn from. We can look at them and see the things that they went through and we can gain insight for our lives. Were the Israelites really always godly and faithful and just on fire for the Lord? No. As we're going to see tonight, song, they were stubborn. They were stiff-necked. It was written in what's called a masculine form. That's just the Hebrew style of writing. It's kind of that contemplative style where you're mulling over, why did this happen? It's kind of one of those answers to question kind of thing or really thoughtful provocative in thought this style now the jews had different styles just like we have different styles of music we've got the waltz we got rock and roll we got the swing band we got all the different styles of music they had their own different varying styles of music and different styles lent themselves to different moods of the music and different messages when you wanted to give like a really cheerful everybody let's be exuberant and leap and jump and praise and that's a different style than this one this one is more the somber, like thinking, like, what is this about? And so this is the style it's written in. So Psalm 78 begins with this. Let's read together. It says, verse 1, Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. Now we will not conceal them from their children, but we will tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. Remember in Deuteronomy, in chapter 4, they were told, this is the law of the Lord, and you are to tell your children when you rise in the morning, you're to talk to them about the law of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord. When you go on a walk with them, just walking down the street with your kids, you're to tell them about the Lord. When you put them to bed at night, 
I mean, this kind of covers all the bases. From the time you get up, as you go along the way, as you put them to sleep at night, you're to teach them the precepts, the statutes. What does God want us to do? You probably grew up learning the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's things. All those things, we're supposed to teach those not just to our generation. Let me show you here. He says you're to teach it to your children, but not just so that they would receive it, but in verse 6, that the generation to come might know, and even the children yet to be born, that they might arise and tell them to their children. In other words, you're supposed to teach your kids this stuff so that they go on and pass it on to their kids. Don't think it's just like, hey, kid, I'm just telling this for you. You don't have to tell anyone this. This is like secret knowledge. Don't pass this on. No, he's saying this is the stuff we're supposed to pass on to our kids and let them know now when you have kids, you pass it on to your kids. Down the chain, keep passing on the things of the Lord. Wouldn't Satan be happy if we would stop passing it on? I mean, what would happen with the message of the gospel if we just said, well, everyone here, we all got the gospel, right? Let's just stop. We don't need to tell anyone else. We'd get in and then what would happen for the next generation? I mean, what a horrible thing that would be to not pass on how much the Lord loves you. I mean, they need to know that. Well, he says, we got to tell them. We got to tell them these things. I want you to back up to verse 4 and notice he says, we're not to conceal these things from the children, but we're to tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. Three different categories of things you're supposed to tell kids. You're supposed to tell them the praises. Well, what things do we praise the Lord for? When the Lord pulls off one of those close calls, he almost got hit in traffic. Praise the Lord. That was close, sir. Something just about catastrophic happening. We can look and see God's fingerprints all over holding us from that thing. We're supposed to tell our kids, praise God that God looked after us. Or maybe he blessed us with a blessing. We're to tell him. We praise the Lord in the good and the bad, right? But there's times when you go, oh, Lord, thank you. You blessed me with this blessing. Now, am I supposed to just tell God or should I teach my children that I'm thankful to God for his blessings? Well, no, I have to teach them that. That's the first category. Praises to the Lord. Second category, he says, is I'm supposed to teach them about God's strength. And then the third category is about his wondrous works, which he has done. Now, if we teach our kids about the wondrous works God has done, but we don't teach them about his strength. And by the way, there are some churches where they say, oh yeah, we know God did lots of wondrous things. You remember Moses, he parted the sea, they went through on dry ground. Joshua took over after Moses and he gets the job and he says to the priest, go into the river with the ark when they go in and the water heaps up on the one side and it gets dry and they all pass across the river on dry. I mean, these mighty things, that just doesn't happen. That water just stops, heaps up, is like piling up on the one side. And they all went through on dry ground. And then you told those heads of the tribes of Israel, one from each of the tribes, remember there's 12 tribes, he said, go back into the river and by the feet of the fellows carrying the ark, get a stone, one of those river stones, round river rock, pick it up and bring it with you to the place I show you that you're going to camp. So they cross the river, they go about a day's journey into Canaan's land. And the Lord says, okay, put the stones right here in a nice pile. Now, over there, it's like pure desert out there. And the Lord says, put these stones in a pile. And when your children and your children's children and your children's children's children's, 
you know, your great-grandchildren say, why is there a pile of river rocks in the middle of the desert over here? That's when you will tell them about the wondrous works the Lord did when he made the water to stop so they could come through on dry ground. Just to pass on that we got to tell the next generation the wondrous things. Now, some people, they learn it in Sunday school. They learn these stories that go, oh yeah, God did great things back then. But they're not taught the second category. Praise is first. The wondrous works is third. In between on the, I'll call this the three-piece sandwich. Top piece of bread, bottom piece of bread. What's in the middle? God's strength. How strong is the Lord? How much power and might does the Lord possess? Is he weakling? Oh, he can't do anything. He's God, but don't give him too much credit. Some people teach theology like that. Like once in a while he did a big work, but he's not really that strong. When I hear guys teach that, and, and by the way, there are whole cults right now that teach a God who did great things back then, but he could only pull it off once in a while because he's not that strong. And you know what that does for your faith? I mean, think about that. If we think God isn't that strong, why should we call on a God who's not that strong? I mean, it's not going to inspire me to call on him. I'll be thinking, I, I could call on him, but he probably can't do anything because he's not that strong. If my grandfather told my father and my father told me, and I heard my grandfather telling my father, and I heard my grandfather telling me about the strength of the Lord, that God has strength. I mean, he has, well, more power and might than anybody. And is there anything too difficult for the Lord? No. But the attitude, how many of us formed our attitudes about God from our grandparents or our parents? What they passed on to us. This is what this psalm starts off talking about. Now, is Asaph aware that there's going to be a generation now being stripped away from hearing these things? Because they just got carried away to Babylon? He's like, guys, we got to make sure. We got to make sure we pass it on to our children so they can pass it on to their children. And it's not just for my son. I'm not just teaching it for him. I want him to be able to take it and say, hey, I learned this from my father. You can learn this from me. If you get the privilege to be around your grandparents, that's great because they can reiterate what the folks are supposed to teach. But the Bible says to parents, it is the parents' duty to train up a child in the way they should go. It's our responsibility to teach our kids about the Lord. So he says here, we teach them so that they can teach their children. And in verse 6, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. Did Asaph know that they were a stubborn and rebellious generation? When all this judgment came down, oh yeah, he was like, man, Jeremiah's been prophesying to us for 40 years. There was that weeping prophet, Jeremiah. And Asaph, do you think Asaph had any encounters with Jeremiah? When you're the worship leader at the temple and the prophet Jeremiah comes to the temple and says, people of the Lord, hear, repent, or there's going to be judgment. You read about Jeremiah. He's just constantly telling them to turn from their sin, turn from their stubborn ways and their rebellion. Verse 8 tells us that not only were the forefathers stubborn and rebellious, but they were a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. They didn't prepare their hearts. Now, what's it mean to prepare our heart for the Lord? 
that Psalm of David, Psalm 51, 10 through 12, created me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit. That prepares our heart for God. When we say, Lord, if there's anything not right within me, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us, you know, or trespass against us. We prepare our hearts for the Lord. Israel quit preparing their hearts. They quit saying, God, forgive me, and they started living stubborn and rebellious. Verse 9, Now the sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, and yet they turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God, and they refused to walk in his ways. This is a story found in Judges chapter 20, verse 39. Ephraim had God with them. They could have easily won this battle. They had a bunch of archers. They were really skilled. These men were known for their skill. And yet, there was something wrong inside, in their heart. And God went ahead and let them get whooped. Sometimes God straightens out some men when they're a little bit prideful or not turning to the Lord. And so God went, okay, you don't want to walk with me? I'll let you try it on your own. It does not work out. And they forgot God's deeds, verse 11 says, and his miracles that he had shown them. He wrought wonders before their fathers. In the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan, he divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the waters stand up like a heap. And then he led them by the cloud by day and by night with a light of fire. Cloud by day, a pillar. It said that went from the earth to the sky. And we read in the scripture, when the pillar would stop, what was the camp of Israel supposed to do? Stop. God goes, I'm going to show you where I lead you. And all you have to do is follow this pillar of cloud that goes from the earth to the sky. Can you imagine a big column? Now, I know it was big because it blocked all the Egyptian army from chasing them down when the Lord parted the sea with Moses. The Lord kept the Egyptian army back just with the size of the pillar. Don't picture like a little pillar, like, you know, six feet across. How wide would the gap have to be to cross the Red Sea in one night? Three miles. Okay, we're just going to give you a little visual aid. A three-mile pillar going from the earth to the sky of cloud. When it moves, everybody pack up and move. When it stops, pitch camp. That's all they were told to do. And at night, it turned into a big nightlight. And when I say big, can you imagine a three-mile across pillar of fire? How did they stay warm? I think if you got a three-mile pillar of fire, you just put your hands out like this and go, oh, that would keep you warm. Does anyone know how long the pillar stayed with them? 40 years. God made his presence be with them the whole time. He didn't turn off the nightlight. He didn't turn off the guidance system. He led them the whole way. And yet they're going, we don't think there's a God. Where is he? And they complain and they murmur. And they murmured against Moses. Poor Moses. He had a rough shake because they're like, well, you brought us out here to die. He's like, um, no, they were slaves in Egypt. They were being beaten. How quickly people forget how bad it is when they're in bondage, when God is delivering them. They're like, this deliverance stuff, it's no fun. We don't like it. You like slavery better? I'll take you to a passage in just a minute. I'll show you their attitude. You'll laugh. You might have read it before, but just to remind you of this, this really ties to this psalm right here, where he says, he led them by the cloud by day and by night with the light of fire. And in verse 15, and he split the rocks, remember, in the wilderness, and out of them he gave them abundant drink, like the depths of an ocean. We saw how much water would be required to take care of a couple million people. How much water do you need just to drink per day? 
And it says, he gave it to them like an abundant ocean coming up. And he brought forth streams also from the rock. And he caused the waters to run down like rivers. Now, some of you learned these stories in Sunday school. You heard about how they were complaining, we need water. And the Lord said, take your staff and go over there and smite that rock and water will come out. And he did. And the second time he was told, go over and speak to the rock and it'll come out. But he was mad. And he smote the rock a second time. And God said, why did you smite it? I didn't tell you to smite it again. You're making me look like I'm mad at them. I'm not mad at them. They're thirsty. Give them something to drink. Kind of wore on Moses after a while. And they're actually going to come after him. But let me read you the next paragraph or two here. It says, yet they continued to sin against God, to rebel against the Most High in the desert. And in their heart, they put God to the test by asking for food according to their desire. And they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams were overflowing. Can he give bread also? And will he provide meat for his people? Remember, they grumbled about, oh, well, yeah, okay, he gave us water. Oh, yeah, he gave us some of that manna stuff, that fine coriander, sweet honey stuff to eat. Angels food that would come every day on the ground. Well, what about some meat? And therefore the Lord heard and was full of wrath, and fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also mounted against Israel, because they did not believe in God, and they did not trust in his salvation. Yet he commanded the clouds above, and he opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down manna upon them to eat, and he gave them food from heaven. And man did eat of the bread of angels, and he sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power... He directed the south wind, and when he rained meat upon them like dust, even the winged fowl, like the sand of the seas, then he let them fall in the midst of their camp, round about their dwellings. So they ate and were well filled, and their desire he gave to them. Before they had satisfied their desire, while the food was still in their mouth, well then the anger of God rose against them and killed some of their stoutest ones and subdued their choice men of Israel. And in spite of all this, they still sinned, and they did not believe in his wonderful works. So he brought them their days to an end in futility, and their years in sudden terror. Now this is where there's a paragraph break, and it actually shifts to a different story from the story where Asaph is referring. Asaph's telling them about the story. Remember in Numbers when they were, we don't got any food to eat. and, And the Lord goes, all right. They were crying. We want meat to eat. We're tired of this manna. And the Lord goes, okay, I'll give you some meat. In Numbers 11, verse 31, the Lord then caused quail to be brought from the sea and let them to fall beside the camp about a day's journey on one side and a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. Now, cubit is from a man's tip of his finger to his elbow. They didn't carry a ruler. They just went like, how big is it? About uh, from here to here. This is approximately 18 inches, by the way, from the tip of a man's hand to his elbow. So two of them, this is three feet. And this is just an approximation. But on average, this actually works out that when you put your fingers like this and go from elbow to elbow, that's three feet. Three feet deep, the quail were. Now, first of all, you guys got to remember, you got a couple million people. In the center, you got a cloud that's about three miles across. Then you have the people camped around the cloud. A couple million people, it's not going to be a small campground. You've got to think big here, okay, to put them all around. 
And around that huge campground, God says, for a day's journey, starting at the edge of the campground, going outward, you could hike for a whole day. Most men can do pretty good mileage in a day. That's how far he made the quail go three feet deep. That's a lot of quail. But I didn't quite grasp the magnitude. First of all, have any of you eaten quail? They're a small bird and they don't have much in the way of meat. There's only two little bites of meat, really, the two breasts. It's not like a chicken where you got the wings and the legs to, to nom on. They don't have anything to eat on them. So just the two breasts. So each quail, you could do all this work to get the quail, but I call it two bites. Just a small piece of breast meat on each side. You know, it's a big fat quail. It's not a lot. So God goes, I'm going to make you have enough quail to feed everybody quail to where it is coming out of your nostrils. Let me show you how much. He made it two cubits deep, three feet deep, a day's journey away from the edge of the camp. And the people spent all day, all night, and all the next day, two full days and a night. You say, how did they gather it at night? Well, where's the nightlight? A three mile across pillar of fire. They had light, don't worry. God went, go ahead. You want quail? Pick them up. They gather all day, all through the night, all the next day. And listen to this. It says, the least gathered 10 omers. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. And while the meat was still in their teeth before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against this people, and the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. So the name of the place became Kirbroth Hatavah, literally the burial of the ones that were greedy. The ones that were so greedy, God said, I'm taking them out. They were like, hey, I'm just going to pile it on here. And the Lord said, I'm not pleased with them because of their greed. It wasn't because they wanted some meat to eat. It's when he gave them the meat, they weren't satisfied with just taking enough to eat for themselves what they needed. They were like greedy. I'm going to take way more than what I need. And so the Lord said, that's not right. Thanks for enjoying our program. That's all we have time for this week, but we will pick up again next time. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, CelebrateTheLord.org. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.
Flies in 